Um, for those of you who are maybe like popping in for the first time or maybe you need a refresher because you've been on glorious vacation, that's great. Um, we're in the series called Spiritual Pathways. And it's a, a series where we're highlighting different styles that people naturally connect with God. And we spent the last couple of weeks kind of talking about different pathways like contemplative and naturalist and the caregivers. And we've got another week or so um, to go before uh, Pastor Brian comes back from sabbatical, which is great. But we've highlighted kind of all of these different pathways. And um, we're following a book written by Gary Thomas called Spiritual Pathways. And so that's kind of our framework uh, for the series. And I just want to take a moment to honor those of you um, and for those of us who have had to sit through the pathways that are much more quiet and contemplative. When Jen, a couple weeks ago, led the sermon, uh, the, the pathway, and it was all about like quiet, I was literally like sitting there squirming. I was deeply uncomfortable um, because I just, like, quiet is not my go-to. Uh, and it just sounds like the opposite direction of a pathway to God to me. Um, I deeply love and respect and have a lot to learn from those of you who connect in those ways, um, but that's not me, which is probably a good point to, to remind us as, as we dig in that this series is not a hard rule. If you don't really land with any of the weeks, and you can go back onto our website or onto YouTube to check all those out, um, but if you don't land with them, like that's totally okay. These are all supposed to be helpful frameworks, but the goal is always for you to know how you best connect with God. And for me, especially in my younger years, I remember a lot of messages like about how quiet time was necessary for my relationship with God, and that waking up early in the morning, just like Jesus did, uh, to spend quiet time was like the best and like most recommended way uh, to spend time with God. And you guys, getting up before dawn is my literal worst nightmare, and there is a very good reason of why I am a youth pastor. And so not only have I had those seasons of life where I have felt distant from God because I thought this one pathway wasn't for me, but I also felt a lot of guilt and shame for not waking up early to sit in silence to read the Bible. So if you don't connect with one of the pathways or the pathway today, like that's okay, don't feel guilty. Um, the hope and prayer is that all of us are encouraged to see some of the benefits of the pathways and at very least like try some of the practices every once in a while which, yes, means that I have to practice solitude and silence every once in a while. And um, I'm okay with that most of the time. Um, but hopefully this series gives you a little bit more insight into how you naturally connect with God and maybe a gentle nudge to, to try other ways. So this week, today, we are going to talk about activism and just that pathway for those of us who need a little bit more action, a little bit more doing, this is for us. Today, we are taking a look at the activist pathway. And for me, it's actually like a very, very, very close second pathway for me. Um, for those of you who know me, you've probably already figured out that my first is enthusiast. Shocking, I know. And um, which is maybe another aside, is for those of you, you might naturally clicked with one and you might naturally be able to figure out what a second one is, but if you can't, like, that's also okay. This is all uh, to help. Um, and some of you might be like, none of these, and we'd love to talk to you about that and if that is something that you want to talk about. But um, we, uh, we, we're not going to walk around with name tags that say, like, my name is Hannah and my type is enthusiast. It's just all um, 
it's all fun and it's all to help us get to know God better. Anyways, activists are the ones who love God through confrontation. They're known for their protest, their advocacy, and they're not turned away by conflict. According to the dictionary, activism consists of efforts to promote, impede, or intervene in social, political, economic, or environment reform with the desire to make changes in society towards a perceived greater good. Some of you just got wildly uncomfortable, and a few of you leaned right in. Activists love God and others by standing up for justice and for righteousness. They are the ones who let you know when something is not right, and they are known for calling out evil and calling people to repent and towards the mandates that calls Christians to act justly. Activists are action-orientated and have a boldness in the way that they speak up. Activists really focus in on the fact that our God is a God of justice. They're confident that God is all-powerful and celebrate the fact that God looks out for and saves his people. Activists take seriously the command to love their neighbors, to watch out for the widows, the orphans, the immigrants, the homeless, and the hungry. Activists rest in the fact that God truly is just and righteous and that God sits upon the throne as judge. Activists often have a single-minded zeal and a strong sense of vision. They have a passion to build the church and work for justice in the world, and they see where they need to go. They're ready to get to work and, well, jump in or move out of the way, which can absolutely get them into trouble sometimes. Obviously, not everyone is jumping up and down to be this vocal, and so activists confront a certain type of fear. They have to wonder if by standing up, they're painting a bit bullseye on their forehead, but their convictions around justice and action compel them forward regardless. And it's funny because I started thinking about activism and I immediately started to think about um, the story in the Gospels, how Jesus flipped tables in the temple as an idea of kind of where it was going to land scripturally. And then I started kind of flipping through the book that we're leaning into, Spiritual Pathways, and he pointed out that activists typically uh, love and often refer to the story in Matthew 21, where Jesus called out the merchants in the temple by flipping tables. And so I was like, well, that's probably a little too on the nose. Um, but that's the heart of an activist, is this story where Jesus um, calls for justice in the temple. But as I was thinking about it, um, I actually wanted to flip back to a prophet. Here, I thought we were done in Habakkuk, but no. Um, I want to uh, open up to Am Amos, and it feels like a heart cry for, for activists. So we're going to look at um, Amos for a minute. And so in this uh, book and in this uh, letter, uh, Amos fiercely condemns the injustice of Israel society, citing the people's moral and social collapse political corruption, and religious apostasy. And Amos urges them to do what is right and reform their community. And so what we're going to read is part of the message that Amos relies, or relays from the Lord. Um, we're going to open up to uh, chapter 5, verses 21 to 24. So if you have a Bible in front of you, or you want to open up your phone, or follow on the screen, that's awesome. Uh, verses 21 through 24. I hate, I despise your religious feasts, 
I cannot stand your assemblies. Even though you bring me burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. Though you bring choice fellowship offerings, I have no regard for them. Away with the noise of your songs, I will not listen to the music of your harps, but let justice roll on like a river, righteousness like a never failing stream. This is what goes on inside an activist's head. It's that all of our songs and all of our offerings mean nothing if it is not paired with God's justice. And this isn't a nice and easy light verse. It's quite loaded. Activists have that deep loaded passion and activists can't simply claim that God is good and then not join in on the work. Activists deeply need and want to see the integration of our faith and our work. And it means that activists cannot come to church on a Sunday morning and pretend that it's all okay and then just leave. Which is why for activists, church on Sunday morning is a place of recharging. They get to worship alongside their supporters and the people they bear arms with, and they get to get back out there and back to the work. And so it's really no surprise that activists enjoy and are energized by being around people. Hello, extroverts. Um, they don't naturally love quiet or solitude projects, and they love when people are gathered together to stand in God's goodness. Even in trial, there's a fuel that comes from standing up for justice together. Activists can be writers or preachers or lawyers, a, a social worker, or even gardeners. It can be evangelistic or for social causes. Activism isn't always big or flashy. Sometimes and often, I find it's in the quiet and the ordinary ways. And I would imagine a lot of you are picturing somebody on the front line holding up a picket sign. And that's not an incorrect assumption, but it's also a kind of narrow assumption. I think activism is also fundraising, praying, cleaning kitchens, making a meal, having hard conversations, listening and praying again. There's sadly no shortage of injustice in the world, and so their activism can take them in a variety of places, seeking the reconciliation between creation and people. The Bible obviously has a few examples of activists. We could talk about Moses for quite a while and talk about how he confronted Pharaoh and how that's a significant story and for the Israelites. Moses went and he told Pharaoh to let, people, to let God's people go, and it was this big confrontation with snakes and a whole bunch of important people all in the room. But it's interesting that Moses went into that quite begrudgingly. Moses told God that he couldn't even do it, even though when he had that conversation with God, Moses had already confronted the, um, the Egyptian slave master um, when he stepped in, albeit he probably didn't handle that one the best, but it was a confrontation story. Um, but Moses has this big, long story of confrontation after confrontation and of standing up and, and fighting for his, his people. About two years ago, we went through a sermon series on Daniel, and our, uh, Daniel was adamant that he would remain faithful to God even when he had no other support. He protested the king. Daniel said he wouldn't, be, wouldn't bow down to his, this idol of the king, and it almost cost him his life. Um, the prophets, in general, have a kind... They almost have 
um, confrontation in their job description. Prophets, in particular, weren't always well-liked because they were the ones calling for justice, ringing the alarm, saying, we've gone off course, and it's time to fix this. They protested the practices of their people, and they advocated for God's way. One of my favorite activists is actually in the book of Esther. Any guesses who? I'll tell you. It's Vashti, um, not Esther, because Vashti is always overlooked. We only get Esther because of Vashti. And I mean, Esther is great, and she has her own story of protest that is well worth the read. But when you are reading the book of Esther, please sit in the first chapter for a minute, because in Esther's story, we have Vashti first. Um, The king is looking for a new queen, which becomes Esther and is kind of like the story arc. Um, But he's only looking for a new queen because Queen Vashti said no to the king in an important moment. And so the king disposed of her and started the hunt for a replacement because the king didn't like her response. And I honestly could take several hours to to talk about this whole point where this queen said no to like the king of Persia, like one of the most influential, powerful people, especially at the time. He was quite notably a tyrant king and the queen told him no. And so she's my new favorite activist. I like Esther, but Vashti has gumption. And so we don't have to look very far uh, to see protests or activists in our own culture, too. I'm sure that if we were to sit down and write a list of some of the people who have fought for the restoration of creation and for those who have battled injustices against God's people, it would be a very long list. And when we read about these stories in the Bible and these characters, It gives us encouragement that God has been raising up activists in unlikely situations to stand up against injustice and to call people to repent and to reconcile. Um, I'm going to go back to Amos for a second, but I'm going to read it in the message translation. I can't stand your religious meetings. I'm fed up with your conferences and conventions. I want nothing to do with your religious projects your pretentious slogans and goals. I am sick of your fundraising schemes and your public relations and image making. I've had all that I can take of your noisy ego music. When was the last time you sang to me? Do you know what I want? I want justice, oceans of it. I want fairness, rivers of it. That's all I want. That's all I want. I'll say it like it is. This passage, it it oozes anger. I'm willing to bet that when we think about activism and justice and protest, somewhere surrounding those thoughts, anger is, is close by. And when I read the anger in these verses, I actually think it's a good thing. One, because anger isn't a bad emotion. Our emotions are all actually good, and if you need to be convinced of that, please talk to a registered clinical counselor or watch the movie Inside Out. It's brilliant. Um, It's not our emotions that are bad, but how we deal with our emotions that require us to pay attention. The caution for all of us is to not act in your anger. We must steward our anger well. 
And for someone like this activist, that will be my lifelong work. Um, I'd invite you to pay attention to your anger. I'm not talking about the anger that you feel when you're in traffic, but that deep anger that bubbles up at injustice, at any violation against all of the created things that our God so deeply loves and values. And I think if you were to sit with that and simmer through, you would notice that the Holy Spirit is actually active in that righteous anger. Because the problem that we are angry about is usually also angering God. For some of you, you might need to learn how to be friends with your anger. And I think we need to get familiar with that anger because it's actually an invitation to pray, to learn, and to stand up for something important or even to confront something. And I actually think that anger is often the most compassionate response to experiencing or witnessing injustice. Holding on to anger, though, that's what we know is toxic. Therefore, activism cannot simply be about something that you are against. That is destined to fizzle out. Anger alone is not sustainable. Anger is an initiator, an igniter, and it's an action emotion. And anger is the warning light, but it is not the change. Brene Brown says this, Anger is a catalyst, an emotion we need to transform into something life-giving. Courage, love, change, compassion, justice. The, the point is that our anger tells us something. It's the alarm bell saying something is not right. And our response then isn't to lash out. It, it still is to love one another and to love God. And this is why we cling desperately to Jesus it's Jesus who can sustain the passion and redirect it into something life-giving. We cannot be people simply against something, but we need to know what we are for. And as people of faith, we are for love. We are for hope and joy and peace that we find in Christ. Because at the end of the day, I don't want you all to be angry and protesting. I want you all to be kingdom builders. I want you to be examples of shalom and of peacemakers, the ones who really love your neighbors because they are loved by God. When activists live to see justice and righteousness worked out so that it is visibly evident in the church and in society, they do this as a way of loving God. The confrontation will actually bring fulfillment, not exhaustion, thanksgiving, not anger, and often a deeper sense of intimacy with God rather than a deeper sense of self-righteousness. Here's the thing about activists that is weird to everybody who is not one. The battle is often what is nourishing to us. Because stepping into that boldness, boldness embracing that fear that is involved in confrontation, creates a certain dependence on God that isn't normally there. You don't just love God, you need God, and you need God quite desperately. There is a deep trust and a confidence in that the God of the universe has our backs. It's almost like activists are a type of faith adrenaline junkie because they can jump into those big moments of protest because the only like, outcome is that God really has to show up to save them. And honestly, I think that's something to be admired of activists. They go big. 
They trust and they walk in miracle situations. And there must be a dependence on God because without God, it's completely unsustainable. And it's what keeps the activists centered on God and not their own ego, like Amos warns. Jesus himself made some pretty bold statements of protest. It's ultimately what got him killed. He called out the legalism and the injustice pretty loudly. He ate with tax collectors and shared food with the outcasts, and he got angry, and sometimes he flipped some tables. And he started a revolution. It just didn't look like the protest anyone thought. I'm going to ask the team just to throw up Luke chapter 4 on the screen if they have it. Awesome. This is what uh, Isaiah wrote this about the coming Messiah, and Jesus quotes it. And this is Luke chapter 4 verses 18 and 19. The spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Jesus came into a time where it was all about empire and oppression, and the good news wasn't that the Messiah came to overthrow the empire, but to usher in the kingdom of God. It moves from this hope that was whispered to a living and active Messiah who changed the lives of the marginalized. Jesus confronted the religious elite when he healed people during Sabbath, and he fought for justice when he saved the woman from being stoned. Whether he ate with people or invited them into his presence, Jesus was, yes, addressing some of the injustices of people, but he was doing it surrounded by loving them. When I think back to the prophets and Jesus' words, and and specifically Amos' words, um, speaking truth to power got them in a lot of trouble, which is not a great sales pitch for the activists. But in each of those situations, they were always provided the antidote, hope. As much as they were confronting the issues of the day, they were advocating for the kingdom of God and for the coming hope. And we're gonna take communion in a, in a minute. Um, Ward will lead us through that shortly. But I can't help but think of a few things. We all need communion. But for the activists, it's a reminder of our dependence on God, not on our own strength. I think communion is supposed to be a place that reminds us of word and deed, and I think this is where our sample-sized communion fails us, because I think when we proclaim Jesus' death and resurrection and celebrate his sacrifice in the new covenant, we also feed each other. And especially in the New Testament times, like that's what it was. It was a love feast where you got to, to feed everyone. It reminds us of the coming hope. But perhaps most notably for me, communion reminds us that this is actually what we're fighting for, a chance for us all to sit around the table together and to have equal access to God's goodness, love, and mercy. And this table is a perfect picture of God's justice. That's what I'm advocating for. I wanted to, um, when I sat down to, to talk about today and activism, I wanted to write a list of all of the things that made me mad and and how God calls us to confront these issues, but that God cares about justice issues, and so should we, but that might have been an excellent sermon in missing the point. The reality is, is I trust that you're paying attention to your anger, 
to the Holy Spirit and to what is happening in your own context. I know that not all of you will have this big, loud faith moment of conflict or of injustice, but I hope that you remain faithful, that your continued small acts of big love are what paints the bigger picture of what you're hoping for. I hope you get angry for good reasons, and I hope that it sparks something in you that leads to a life-changing partnership with the Holy Spirit.